Maybe you came in here today feeling defeated. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like a failure in some area of your life. Just know this, we have a champion and he wants to do something great and powerful in your life and that great champion has never lost a battle and he never will. And he will see you through. You may have failed, but you're not a failure if you're in Jesus Christ. You're victorious in Jesus Christ. And he's got a good plan, and he will complete the plan that he started in you. And it's his promise. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. And it's about who he's made you. And he's here right now to give you encouragement, to let you know that he is going to see you through because he is the great champion and we give him all the credit. We give him all the praise. So let's do that right now. Maybe you need victory in some area of your life that it just seems like the struggle just continues and today, today's the day. Today's the day that God wants you to experience a breakthrough. Today's the day that God can deliver you Today's the day that God can meet you at your deepest point of need, your greatest hurt, and turn your pain into purpose, and turn your hurt into healing. So Lord, we thank you that you are the great champion, and Lord, we come before you, and we know we need you so desperately, and and Lord, I know that I can't change one life, but you can change every one of us, Lord. So I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that you would just speak to them, Lord, so powerfully and so personally from your word because you know what they're going through. Lord, I, I don't know what they're going through, but I know everyone has a hidden hurt. And Lord, I know that you know what they're going through and that you have the power to meet them, Lord, right there at that need. Do that today. I pray that you would make a new way in the wilderness for people today that feel like they're stuck in the wilderness. Make a new way and make that new way start today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You know, today we're concluding this series that I've been calling The Wilderness of a Wasted Life or The Wilderness, and we're gonna talk about The Wilderness of a Wasted Life because we've been talking about what do you do when you go through the wilderness and we all go through the wilderness at times. Maybe it's a wilderness of worry. Maybe it's a wilderness of pain. Maybe it's a wilderness of problems. Maybe it's a wilderness where you just feel like God is not close to you and and you're spiritually dry. It's a desert. But today, we're gonna talk about the most harsh wilderness you can ever find yourself in, and that's this wilderness of a wasted life. Now, some people don't realize they're in the wilderness of wasted life. That's because they're experiencing a lot of success and they have a lot of accomplishments, they have a lot of achievements, they have a lot of possessions, and so they think they're in an oasis, but really, it's just a mirage that doesn't matter because they're not doing anything with their one and only life that's gonna make a difference. They're not doing anything with their one and only life that is eternal. They're totally focused on the temporary here on this earth But one day, they're gonna realize too late when they die that everything they did was just a mirage that didn't matter. That they were living in a wilderness of a wasted life their whole life. 
They just never recognized it. See, the only thing worse than being in the wilderness of a wasted life is not knowing you're in the wilderness of a wasted life. Being blinded to that fact. Now, there are others who know they're in the wilderness of a wasted life. Uh, They are all too familiar with their failures. They think every day about all of the wrong turns that they've taken, all of their failures and mistakes and sins that have led them into the desert of disappointment. And because the enemy can't blind them to the fact that they're in the wilderness of a wasted life, they are so aware of the reality that they're in this wilderness of a wasted life that he gives them the big lie and he tells them, you'll never get out of the wilderness. Your past failures, mistakes, and wrong turns in life have caused you to miss God's plan for your future. Your past disqualifies you from God's future purpose for your life. Your past mistakes have sealed your future misery. Your past failures will prevent you from any future success. Your past disqualifies you from ever being used by God. You just got too many failures. You're stuck in the wilderness of a wasted life. But it is a big lie. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to hear the truth today of what God has for you. And so would you open your Bibles to Isaiah 43, verse 18. We're gonna end this series the same way we started it, with this promise from God, because I know that God has this for you and for me. So let's stand together and read God's word together. Like I said, I can't change one life, but God can change us all through his word. His word is powerful, and his word is true. And when we align our lives with God's truth, we start living in truth. And as a Christ follower, we start living from our true self. And so here's the word that God wants to share with someone today, a personal and powerful promise. I don't know where you are. You may be on the other side of the world, or you may be right down here on the front row in the woodlands. You may be at our Atascacita campus. I don't know, maybe you're part of our online family, but God has a word for you today from his word. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You can be seated. I want you to focus on that phrase where God says, I am doing a new thing. Maybe you started to believe the enemy's lies that your past failures will keep you from God's future purpose for your life. But God is saying to someone today, I can forgive your past, you can forget your past, and I'm gonna make a new way in the wilderness for you. I'm gonna do a new thing in your life. I'm gonna give you a new way, and that new way starts today. I wanna do something new and fresh that changes everything, and I want you to see that I can break you free from the wilderness of a wasted life. I wanna start something new in your life, and I'm already doing it. I'm making a new way in the wilderness. Well, there was a time when Moses the great hero of the faith, believed that lie, that his past had disqualified him from God's purpose for his life. You see, Moses, he was born a Hebrew slave, but then through God's miracle, he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He was the prince of Egypt. He was next in line to be Pharaoh over all of Egypt. 
but yet he knew God had a special plan and purpose for his life. He felt God's call that he would be the deliverer that would deliver his people out of slavery after 400 years. Moses knew that God had called him and Moses thought that he was in the perfect place. He had the perfect position. He had the power and the influence and the gifts and the abilities and the talents to get it done. And so he tried to be the deliverer his way. And he got impatient. One day he saw a, uh, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and he took matters into his own hands and he killed that Egyptian. And then he buried the Egyptian and, and tried to hide it. But I imagine out there in that desert land in Egypt, you know, that the wind began to blow and then the sand began to move away and then a toe came up out of the sand. And then somebody saw it and then they found the dead Egyptian and then they started talking to people and they said, it, it was Moses, you wouldn't believe it. It was the prince of Egypt, he did that. And then word got back around to Pharaoh and Moses is paralyzed with fear. But then the fear motivates him to run and he runs into the wilderness. He runs for his life. He was supposed to be the next Pharaoh and now he finds himself in the wilderness of a wasted life. He was supposed to be the great deliverer, but he ends up in the desert as a lowly shepherd. That was the lowest job you could have in that day. He was a lowly shepherd out in the wilderness of a wasted life, tending sheep, no longer that great man in the palace who had a great purpose. But I want you to see what God does because God meets him right there in the wilderness of wasted life. In fact, Moses had been wandering around in the wilderness of wasted life for 40 years, tending sheep, feeling like God had forgotten him, just knowing that his past had disqualified him from God's purpose, believing that he could never again be used by God because of his epic failure. But God meets him right there in the desert and it's a divine appointment. You see, Moses is walking around that same mountain that he would always take the sheep around. He would climb up on the mountain to find some good areas for the sheep to graze, and he was walking around the mountain, which was Mount Horeb, or also called Mount Sinai, and as he was walking around the mountain, he saw something strange. It was a bush that was burning, and yet it wasn't consumed. So he goes closer to see what's going on, and God speaks to him. And here's what God says to him in Exodus 3, 9. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. So God says to Moses, your past failures aren't gonna keep you from my great purpose for your life if you'll turn to me. God tells Moses, the desert can't change your destiny, but I can change your desert. Somebody needed to hear that today. The desert you're in cannot change your destiny, but God can change your desert. And that's what he did for Moses. You see, Moses would walk around that mountain every day. 
And I'm sure Moses felt like he was in this place where it was a mountain of failure, an avalanche of regret. He would look at that great mountain, but he would remember his great failure. And God says to him, here's the big sign I'm gonna give you. And and, and you're gonna see this sign, and then you're gonna remember all that I've done, and you're gonna go, wow. God, you're amazing. He, He says, I'm gonna bring you back to this same mountain, this mountain of pain, this place of pain, but everything's gonna be different. It will no longer be a place of pain, it will be a place of purpose. Everything will have changed. It'll be the same mountain, but it'll be a new you, Moses, because I'm making a new way in the wilderness, and this time it will be my way. You feel like you're in the place of no way? but I'm making a new way. But this time, it's gonna be my way, not your way. And I'm gonna bring you back to this very place, but you'll, you'll be totally different. It won't be the wilderness of a wasted life. It won't be the place of worry. It will be the place of worship. I'm gonna bring you back here. And it's not gonna be a mountain of misery. It's gonna be a mountain of miracles because I'm gonna give you the Ten Commandments right there. At the very place that you were at where you felt like there was no way. I'm gonna make a new way where there's no way. Maybe somebody needed to hear that today. The desert can't change your destiny, but God can change your desert if you'll turn it to him. God can change everything around you and everything in you. So when you come back to the same place, physically, everything will have changed that place of worry that you're in right now, he'll bring you back and it'll be a place of worship and you'll thank God for what he did. That place of pain, he'll bring you back to the same place but then it'll be a place of purpose and you'll thank God that he used the pain to fulfill your purpose. Only God can do that. But Moses, he's been in the wilderness of wasted life for so long that the burning bush doesn't change him. He still believes in the lie. In Exodus 4.10, he makes an excuse. It says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Moses said, hey, this is really impressive what you're doing with the burning bush here. I'm amazed. Never seen anything like this. But I gotta tell you, I still have the same problem. You see, most people think Moses stuttered. And I have the same problem, I don't talk very well, and so that's great, you're doing a miracle right there, but it didn't affect me. I'm still the same Moses, and I've got a weakness. I've got a problem, so don't send me. You're gonna send me to speak to Pharaoh when I can't speak very well? God, that makes no sense. And here's the lie that Moses was believing. My weakness keeps God from using me. But here's the truth. My weakness is what God uses the most. The lie that the enemy will tell you is your weakness keeps God from using you. Your struggle keeps God from using you. But it's your weakness and your struggle that God wants to use the most. That's where his power can come through the most. And God says, Moses, don't you know that I know that you stutter? I made you. Don't you know that? Don't you know that I know that and I can speak through you? 
Moses, I can take your weakness and I can be strong through you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul had prayed for God to take away this struggle that he was going through and usually God would just answer Paul instantly and God would do miracles, but this time prayed three times and it didn't happen. So Paul says each time God said, no, but I'm with you. It's the same thing he told Moses. I'm with you. That is all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Now, Paul said, I can I am glad to boast about how weak I am. I'm glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. See, God loves to show his strength through your weakness. And you need to understand that God will ask you many times to do something you can't do. God will call you to do things that you can never do on your own. That's because he gets all the credit. And people will look at you and say, that's an ordinary, imperfect person, but wow. Look what God's doing through them. God always uses your weakness because your weakness makes you depend on God. Without your weaknesses, without your struggles, without your problems, you wouldn't depend on God. You'd think you could do it. You would miss out on that relationship with the living God and his power in your life to do something you can't do. God will always call you to do things you can't do. And then God will always allow you to have some weaknesses that you can't overcome. And so you just have to trust him and you just have to give it to him. And then his power works through the weakness in an even greater way. It's amazing how God does that. Well, Moses would soon learn that whatever God gives you the plan to do, he gives you the power to do. When God calls you to do something, he'll give you the power to do it, or he'll give you provision. Now, God wanted just to speak directly through Moses and work a miracle there through his weakness, and where everybody would say, man, he can't talk very good, but everything he says comes true. Wow. You know, but that's not what happened because Moses just kept making excuses, so God said, okay, I was gonna give you the power to do that, but instead I'll just give you provision. Here, here comes Aaron, your brother-in-law, and he's a really good speaker, and so he's gonna speak for you. I'll tell you exactly what to do. You tell him and he can speak. That's great, fine. You see, whatever God gives you the plan to do, he'll give you the power or the provision to get it done. Whatever God calls you to do, he'll give you the power to do. And wherever God guides, he will provide. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. It will in church. Where God guides, God provides. But you gotta step in faith and then he provides. Well, then Moses kept making excuses. In Exodus 3.11, it says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So Moses' fears and insecurities start coming out. Moses says, God, who am I? I'm just a nobody. I mean, I'm just ordinary, imperfect. I'm just a nobody. And why would you call me to go to Pharaoh? Why would you call me to lead all these thousands of people? God, don't you know who I am? I'm just ordinary. And he was believing this lie that we believe so many times. My fears define my future. But that's not the truth. The truth is, it's my God who determines my destiny. It's not my fears that define my future. It's my God who determines my destiny. It's not my fears, it's my faith in God. In Exodus 3.14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses was asking, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh and tell him what to do? Who am I to lead thousands of people? Who am I? And God said, Moses, you're focused on the wrong thing. It's not about who you are, it's about who I am. And I am the great I am. And I am whatever you need, Moses. You got the wrong focus. You're focused on what you're not, but you're not focused on who I am. It's not about what you're not, it's about who I am and what I can do through you. And he says, I am the great I am. God says, my name is I am, the great I am. I am whatever you need. You see, God's name is I am because he says, I am whatever you need. I'm not the God of the past tense. I'm the God of the present. I am whatever you need today. I, he says, Moses, I know that you're insecure and afraid, but it's okay because I am peace. I am faith. Moses, I know you feel really ordinary and really weak. That's okay because I am strength. I am power. So don't worry about what you're not. Focus on who I am and the power that I'm gonna give you and how I'm gonna change who you are. But then Moses continues to make excuses. In Exodus 4.13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. I mean, Moses is saying, God, you got the wrong guy. God, you've got it wrong. I've tried this deliver a thing before. Don't you remember how it went? I mean, I gave it my best shot, God, and you let me down. Don't you know that I can't get this done? You chose the wrong guy. I used all my gifts and abilities and, and my position and my power, and I blew it. I failed terribly. I've tried this deliverer stuff, and I'm the wrong guy. You chose the wrong guy. Send someone else. He's believing the biggest lie of all. My failure is the final story. My failure is the final story. That's a lie that the enemy uses over and over again in our lives to keep us stuck in the wilderness of a wasted life, that your failure is the final story. But that's not true, because God says no, your failure is not the final story. My purpose is the final story. My purpose for your life is the final story, and the desert cannot change your destiny. In Proverbs 19, 21, it says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God says, Moses, your failure is not greater than my purpose. Your story is not written yet, and God wants you to know that, that your story is not written yet. You may feel like that because of your past failures, your story has been written. But God says, no, my purpose is greater than your failures. Your story is not written yet. If you will give me the pen, then I will write the next chapter and I will change the whole book. I will make a new way and make a new you. God is up to something great. And he wants you to give him the pen of your life. He's the author and finisher of your faith and he will finish the story when his purpose is completed in your life. Because no pain can stop God's purpose for your life. Well, God gives Moses two things that he needs to do to step out of the wilderness of a wasted life so that his mountain of misery can become a mountain of miracles 
and it's the same things that he tells us to do. If you don't get anything else, please get this. You might wanna put this in your phone, in your notes. You might wanna write this down because just two really simple things, but they change everything. Number one, let go of all you have. Let go of all you have. In Exodus 4, 2, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied, and the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran from it. So God asked Moses, what is it that you're holding on to in your hand? And, and Moses, this? And this is an old stick. I, I found this by the mountain, you know, 40 years ago, and it, it's just an old stick, but I've kind of carved it up, and, I, and I've made it kind of nice, haven't I? I mean, it, it's, it's just a shepherd's staff. It's no big deal, and God said, if it's no big deal, then you throw it down, give it to me. Let it go, throw it down. You see, Moses, when he ran from the palace into the wilderness of a wasted life, he left everything. He failed so miserably that he lost it all. But he still had something he was holding on to. You see, that shepherd's staff was what he used to lean against in those long desert days. It was that shepherd's staff that he used to protect the little bit he had left, that flock from wild animals. It was the shepherd's staff that he used to guide them and he had carved it and made it his own. It was sort of his security blanket. It was all he had. And God said, throw it down. Let go of what you're holding on to. You see, God wanted him to get to the place where he could let go of all that he had. So what is it you're holding on to too tightly? You holding on to that business? Are you trying to control everything and trying to control the future and trying to be the manager of the universe, trying to control that business? Is it your finances you're holding too tightly? Is it your families or your kids you're holding too tightly? Overprotecting. Whatever you hold on to too tightly, you crush the life out of. Is that relationship you're holding on to too tightly? What are you holding on to? God says, as Christ followers, we're to let go of all we have and surrender it all to God to be used for his purposes so that he can turn it into something powerful and something that is purposeful so none of it is wasted. Is it your finances that you're holding on to too tightly? If you haven't learned the joy of generosity, then yeah, you're holding too tightly. If there's something in your life right now that you cannot give to God, you're holding it too tightly. If there's something in your life that you cannot give to God, you're holding it because you think you're protecting it. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your kids. and You're holding it too tightly because you think you're protecting it, but it's just the opposite. It can only be protected when you give it over to God. And when you let go and you give everything you are and everything you have to God, then he does something miraculous with it. He changes it completely. He takes the selfishness out of it and he turns it into something powerful and eternal. He, he, that's why you wanna give everything to God because you want the blessing of God on everything that he has given you so you give it back to God so that, that it can become all that God wants it to be in your life. When you give something to God, he'll either change it, you, you see, Basically, when Moses threw 
it down and gave it to God, that which he was holding onto, it turned into a snake. And Moses was afraid and he ran from it, but God had to take the snake out of it. And whenever you're holding something too tightly, God has to take the snake of selfishness out of it. Maybe you're holding a dream too tightly. And, and everything you're trying is failing. You gotta give that dream to God so that he can take the snake of selfishness out of it and he may very well just give it right back to you, but it'll be different, it'll be changed, it'll be powerful. It'll be a dream of purpose for God's glory. It will be God's way and not your way. It will be a new way. He'll change the no way to a new way, but it'll be his way. And so what is it that you're holding on to? Because when you give it to God, when you give something to God, he's gonna take it and he's gonna make it something more powerful, more beautiful, more purposeful, and give it back to you to be used for his glory, or he's gonna give you something better for your own good and for his glory. Because we can trust him with the most important areas of our lives, but sometimes we'll trust him with this area or that area, but then there's one area, ooh, we hold too tightly. God, I can't trust you with that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you care about my family as much as I care about my family? God, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, you, you may not be that great with finances. God, I don't know. And we hold on to things and they start holding on to us and choking the life out of us. If I turn it over to God, he takes the snake of selfishness out of it, the snake of worry out of it, and then he can give it back to me in a whole new way or give me something better. He'll turn it into something that lasts so we don't waste it. That's why you wanna give it to God, so he can bless it. So how do you know if you've surrendered all you have to God? Two things, thanks and giving, that's it. Thanks and giving, now this Thursday is Thanksgiving, but on Thanksgiving Day, we don't do a lot of thanks and giving, and we should do Thanksgiving every day, but on Thanksgiving Day, there's a lot of football watching, which I love, a lot of turkey eating, which I love, but there's not a lot of thanks and not a lot of giving. But thanksgiving is the key, that is, Thank God for what you have instead of always wanting more and, and never being content with what you have. You gotta have that next thing, that next new thing. We always want a new thing, but God wants to do a new thing in our hearts. And we miss out on the new thing God wants to do because we want that next new thing. Be grateful for what you have. Thanks. And then giving. We gotta give. That's why the Bible says to give back to God the first 10% of all that you make financially. Why? Not because God needs your money. He wants your heart. What it represents, that he's first in your life. And so if you're thanking God for what you have and not always just wanting more and being discontent, and then you're giving the first part of what God gives you, that shows that you've given God what you have. And you say, God, really? And it's not really just giving God the first 10%. It's like, God, I give you everything I have financially. It's all yours to be used for your glory. It's all yours to be used. And, and, and God says, well, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to be content with what I give you. I want you to thank me for it. And then I want you to give back to make a difference. But I want you to give it all to me so I can do eternal things with it, so that I can bless it, so that I can multiply it. It's thanks and giving. We've got a great opportunity to do that coming up. Every year at Woodland Church, we have our Christmas offering. Our end of the year offering, and we call it different things, heart for the house or give your greatest gift to Christ at Christmas. This year we're calling it our God first offering because that's the whole point. It's to put God first during the Christmas season, to put God first at the end of the year in every area of our lives. And this is a chance for some thanks and for some giving. 
And so it starts this weekend, between now and the end of December, and it's for our regular tenders to give above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings. You see, God says, yeah, you gotta give the first part, show them first place, uh, but then there are times when you give over and above sacrificially to show that it's all mine, and so that's what we're moving into. And it's just a really joyful time because we want this to be the most meaningful Christmas you've ever had. And I want for your family, I want you to experience what I experienced growing up, learning how to tithe and then to give. You see, if you don't tithe, that, that's just stealing. And so, but giving is giving above that because it's God's. The first 10% is God's. But maybe for some of you who haven't learned that practice and habit of tithing, and it's been tough, and you're holding on, well, this is a chance for you to start doing that. So maybe it's a chance for you to start tithing and watch God bless you because he says, I will meet your needs if you do that. You can trust me, I'll bless you. And then it's a time for our regular tenders to say, hey, this is time, I'm gonna give above and beyond my regular tithes and offerings because I want God first in my life, in every area of my life. In this area of my life, I want God to bless me and I want God to strengthen me, and I'm gonna put God first. That's what it's all about, thanks and giving. And so you can do it at any time. You can do it from now to the end of the year, but um, pray about it. Ask God what he would want you to do. Chris and I are so excited to give above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings um, every year in this way. It's a powerful thing, and God says, you do it, and I'll take care of you. I believe this could be the most meaningful Christmas you've ever had. But what's more important, hey, the church every year always depends on our end of the year offering because like most churches and nonprofits, you know, a huge percent of our giving comes in at the end of the year and it determines everything we do the next year. And so it's really important for the church, but that's not the big deal about this. The big deal is your heart for God to break you free from a wasted life. And all of you who know what I'm talking about because you've experienced the joy of generosity knowing Hey, it's all God's. It's all God's. One day you're gonna give it all away anyway to your kids to squander it or to the government. And so, you know, everything you own, you're gonna give it all away one day when you die. So why don't you do some giving while you're living so you can have the joy of knowing where it's going and it's making an eternal difference for God's glory. I mean, so you can break free from the grip of a wasted life. You don't wanna waste your life on temporary. You gotta let it all go. That's the amazing thing. God says, you gotta let it all go to me. Everything you have, your time, your talent, your treasure, surrender it all, your family, all the things that matter. Well, Moses does that. He lets it go, and it turns into a snake, and he runs from it, and he's scared. But then God calls him back and he learns the second thing. I've gotta let go of all I have so I can take hold of all that God has. That's the key. The reason why God says I want you to let go of all that you have so you can take hold of all that I have because if I'm holding on to something, then my hands and my heart can't receive what God wants to give me. And so many people miss out on what God wants to give them. Purpose and meaning and fulfillment and blessings so many people miss out on the joy that God wants to give them because they're holding onto something that they have and they're missing out on what God has. I've gotta let go of all that I have so that my heart and my hands can be open to receive all that God has. 
and God has more than I have. I want what God has more than what I have. And so Moses comes back and God tells him, Moses, pick up the snake. Now he was scared of the snake and now he's thinking, you know, I'm gonna pick up the snake, I'm gonna get bitten, you know, and, and I could die. And, but in Exodus 4.4 4, it says, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hands. Moses was afraid, but he still obeyed. That's crucial. What a great lesson in life. Moses was afraid, but he still obeyed. You gotta obey, no matter what your feelings are, no matter what your fears are. Moses didn't let his fears keep him from obeying God. So everything starts to change here because he let go of all that he had, and then he picked up what God had for him, and he's beginning to learn this principle, the principle of life that takes you out of the wilderness of a wasted life into a life of purpose and fulfillment and blessing. He's beginning to learn this and it's really powerful because he doesn't let his fears keep him from obeying. This is really important because a lot of people let their fears define their future and they let their fears keep them from obeying God. And they always wonder, how does that person have so much faith, you know, that they can give in faith, that they step out in faith and do things that are amazing. And, and man, because it scares me to think about that. You know, I, I used to think that men and women who had great faith that I admired from afar just had a different kind of faith and just, you know, they're not ordinary. But I've gotten to meet during my life several of them. And everyone I've met, I found out they're ordinary like you and me. And they have the same fears that we have, exact same fears. They just don't let their fears keep them from obeying God. They don't let their fears dictate their future. They don't let their fears, they let their God dictate their future. So many times over the years, Chris and I have been afraid of the next step that God's calling us to take at Woodland Church. Every time God calls us to step out in faith. He constantly does that, calls us to step out in faith, calls us to step out in faith, and we're always afraid, but we've never let our fears keep us from stepping out and obeying God. You see, courage is not the absence of fear, it's stepping in faith in spite of your fears. You're gonna have fear, you're gonna feel insecure, but who cares about your feelings? It's all about your faith in God, because God determines your destiny. And so you place your faith in him and you step out in faith regardless of your fears. Moses reached out and he picked up that snake regardless of his fears. And real faith is continually obeying God whether you feel like it or not. It's coming to church on the weekend whether you feel like it or not or connecting online in worship whether you feel like it or not. It's, it's just obeying God. It's giving whether you feel like it or not. See, that's why there's a big difference between Someone who gives and someone who is a giver. Someone who gives, gives when they're motivated to give. Maybe they feel inspired so they give a little bit or maybe they see a need. Well, that's a real need. You know, yeah, that's a huge need so they give to it. Or maybe they get pressured, bugged, and finally they give. I mean, it's good to give. It is really good to give, but if you give, it doesn't make you a giver. A giver is someone who's made it a lifestyle, and it's a habit. They don't give when they're inspired. They just give to obey God and his commands. They don't give when they feel like it. They just give 
because they have faith in God that he's gonna come through. They give not because of the need, they give, needs are always there. They give because they love God and they make it a habit. It's more important than their mortgage. It's more important than anything because God comes first. That's the difference between someone who gives and someone who's a giver and God wants you to be a giver so you can move out of the wilderness of a wasted life and you can experience the joy of generosity, the joy of just knowing that it's his and seeing God bless and seeing God work in your life in a really important area of your life. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 tells us, when we let go of all we have, we take hold of all that God has for us, God has more. God has more than we have. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and the best. Now notice it doesn't say honor the Lord with your wealth with the last and the leftover part of all your income. No, it says honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and the best part of all your income. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. This is the principle of overflow. If we honor God and put him first, give him the first and the best in your life, then God says, I've got more than you have. When you let go of all you have and you take all that God has, that's a win right there. God has a lot more than you have. I want us to go back to the burning bush where God met Moses in the wilderness of a wasted life. Remember the end of the passage I read there at first, God's promise to him in Exodus 3, 12, God says, I'll be with you, God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. So God says, Moses, the mountain you're at right now that's been your place of pain, hey, I'm gonna bring you right back to the same mountain. It'll be the same mountain, but everything will have changed. Your place of pain will be a place of purpose. Your mountain of misery will be a mountain of miracles, and I'm gonna give you the 10 commandments. This place of worry, I'm gonna turn it into a place of worship. I'm gonna change it all. I'm gonna bring you back to the same place, but everything will have changed. I'm gonna make a new way in the wilderness, and I'm gonna make a new you. And he says, it starts today. Now, I don't know that Moses really believed him, but he took the little bit of faith he had that was very imperfect, and he placed it on God, and he let go of all that he had, and he took all that God had for him at the time, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff. I believe with all my heart that God can take the place of pain you're in right now, same place, and turn it into a place of purpose. Look what happens in Exodus 19, one and two, exactly three months after the Israelites had left Egypt, they reached the desert of Sinai. When they left Rephidim, they came to the desert of Sinai and camped in the desert in front of the mountain. So about two months after God meets Moses at the burning bush, then God uses Moses to deliver the people out of slavery, and they leave Egypt. And then three months after the Israelites left Egypt in the Exodus, they camped in front of the mountain. So get this, five months after God reached out to Moses in his wilderness of a wasted life, just five months later, Moses is back at the same mountain. But it's no longer a wilderness of a wasted life. It's no longer the place of pain, it's the place of purpose. It's not the place of worries, it's the place of worship. Can you imagine what Moses thought when he looked up and he saw that mountain that he'd seen for those 40 years? 
when he saw that mountain that used to be a mountain of failure to him, buried under an avalanche of regret, and now it's the same mountain, but it's a new Moses. It's the same place, but God has made a new way. Everything's different. Can you imagine what Moses must have felt as he stood at that mountain? He's like, yeah, God, you did it, didn't you? You did it. My desert didn't determine my destiny, but you changed the desert. You changed it all, God, and you changed me. Same mountain, but a new Moses. Five months later, he's back at the same place, but everything has changed. It's now this place of worship. You see, God can take your place of worry today and turn it into a place of worship. I remember back when God called us to get this land, this property that the Woodlands campus is on, and I remember how 125 acres open, and for our little church, man, God, you'll have to do a miracle. We can't do this. You'll have to do this. And, and I remember thinking, I've got a great idea. We need everybody to pray for God to work a miracle. So I sent some of our student ministry staff out here to the land. There were no roads coming into the land. It was just muddy, swampy, really hard to get into, uh, really hard to, you know, I mean, you almost couldn't get into the land. It took a while to get into this property. There's just no roads, but, but they came back really quickly and they had a, buckets of dirt that I told them to get, and then they put the, the dirt into these little vials, that were these clear vials, and so we gave them out to all of our people, and we said, would you pray for this land, the dirt, you know, the land that God work a miracle and give us this land with his power? Would you pray? Let's all pray for a miracle. Let's pray for a miracle, and so our people started really praying, and I remember asking one of our student pastors, I said, man, I can't believe that you guys got in there so fast and got it, that's amazing. I mean, was it really hard? Because that's what I've heard, it's really hard to even get to this place. He said, no, not at all. We just, we just stepped right off Gosling there, my 242, and we just, I mean, we just stepped right off and we just started digging, it was easy. I said, that's not our land. I said, they're putting a gas station in there. So we prayed for that gas station, holy, that gas station is on holy ground. That's why it's one of the number one grossing gas stations in Texas right now because of all the prayer for that dirt that it is on right now. I mean, they said, what? You know, we couldn't get any further than that. And then one day I brought my family up here and we walked until we could get in and we went through all the brush and the mud. And I remember Stephen was about seven or eight, our youngest son, and, and when... He stepped into the land. It was so muddy that it went up to his knees and we couldn't get him out. It was like five minutes, we were pulling on him and we pulled on him, we got him out, but his shoes were left behind. I'll never forget. And then we got about maybe 10 feet in and that was okay, we don't wanna die here. And we were out. And I remember all the worries. I like, God, this is a place of worry. But God told us one day it'll be a place of worship for thousands will come to know me as Lord and Savior and you'll send out thousands around the world to make a difference for Jesus Christ, for his glory, because I can turn this place, this wasteland, into a place of worship. I can turn this place with my power and my provision. I can turn this mountain into a mountain of worship for my glory. And that's what God did.
We still haven't found Stephen's shoes. They're here somewhere on holy ground, I promise you. I don't know what place you're in right now in your life. Maybe an important area of your life is a place of pain and heartache. Could it be that in five months, God's gonna bring you right back to the same place, but it's gonna be a place of healing? Could it be? God can do it. He didn't even need five months. Or maybe he brings you back to the same place and it's a new you because you've gone a new way. This time it's God's way. Maybe you're at a place of fear in your life right now and you're paralyzed with fear and anxiety. Could it be that in five months you'll be back at the same place and you'll praise God because that place of fear is now a place of faith because you're believing God for great things and you've seen God come through and you know that God keeps his promises. And that place of anxiety has become a place of peace. Same place, but a new you. Everything's changed. And maybe you came here today and you feel like you're in the wilderness of a wasted life. That your past has disqualified you from God's purpose for your life. And you're in a place of pain right now, but God wants to turn it into a place of purpose. You're at a place of no way, but God wants to turn it into a new way in the wilderness, but this time his way. And the secret is, I have to let go of all I have so I can take hold of all that God has for me. That's the secret. You see, when Moses let go of all that he had, and he didn't have much, it was just that old shepherd stick, and then God changed it and gave it back to him, it was changed. It was no longer an old stick. It became the powerful staff of Almighty God that would one day go into the Ark of the Covenant. It became, see, in those five months, a lot had changed. First, the staff was changed. Then Moses was changed. The people were changed. You see what happened? God gave him back that old stick, but it wasn't an old stick anymore. It was the powerful staff of Almighty God, the same staff that Moses put into the Nile River and it turned to blood. The same staff that he held over the Red Sea and it parted in two and walls of water on both sides so they could go through and be delivered. The same staff that struck the rock and water gushed forth and saved the people. The same staff that was raised above the enemy and the enemy was defeated because it was no longer an old shepherd stick. It was the powerful staff of Almighty God. And when you give God all you have, he changes it forever. He gives it a whole new meaning, a whole new purpose for his glory and for your good. But it all comes down to let go of all you have and take hold of all that God has for you. In Exodus 19, three, in the last verse, it says, Moses went up the mountain to meet with the Lord God, who told him to say to the people, you saw what I did in Egypt, and you know how I brought you here to me just as a mighty eagle carries its young. Now, if you will faithfully obey me, you will be my very own people. The whole world is mine. God says, Moses, I'm sure they had a little laugh, you know, and Moses, remember when I met you right here five months ago? You were a different person. Moses, remember, now, remember all that I've done since you picked up that snake and it turned back into the staff? Remember all that I've done? I've done everything I promised, right? Yeah. Well, here's what I want you to tell the people. Tell them what you've learned. Tell them that 
They've gotta let go of all they have and obey me so they can pick up all that I have. So they can take all that I have. And, and the last thing he says is, oh, and by the way, the world is mine. I've got more than you got. So you wanna hold on to all you have? Go ahead, God says. Go ahead. You can hold on to all you have. But he says, the whole world is mine. Let's bow together. Would you stand? Dear Almighty God, we come before you and we ask you to forgive us for how we hold on to things so tightly. Lord, so often I hold on to things and I try to fix situations that I can't control and I try to change people in and of my own strength and I try to, Lord Jesus, hold on too tightly to things that I love and care about. But Lord, forgive us for not trusting you. Because when I hold on too tightly, I, I can't receive what you want to give me. And you have so much more than I have. So I want all that you have for your glory and for your good. Lord, I throw it down and ask you to keep my heart and arms open to receive all that you have. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing, for your strength. And I pray for those who feel like they're in the wilderness of a wasted life because of the pain from their past. They feel like it's disqualified them from your purpose. They're so off track, they can't get back on track. Lord, let them know that you can turn that place of pain into a place of purpose. I pray for all those who are filled with worry right now, that you would turn their place of worry into a place of worship for your glory. I pray for those, Lord, who have never received you. They didn't even know before they came today or are connected today online. They didn't have a clue that they were in the wilderness of wasted life, but now they know. And they're turning to you, Lord. I pray that they would just say this simple prayer silently in their heart. Jesus Christ, I need you. I need you to save me from a wasted life. I need you to save me from my sins. I need you to come into my life, forgive me, cleanse me, and make me new. I accept your free gift of heaven one day. Help me grow in my faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just thank the Lord for who he is because I, it's not about who you are, it's about who he is. He says, I am the great I am and I am whatever you need. I don't know what you need today, but I know we all need a fresh wind of God to blow into the desert of our lives and bring alive things that have died, to bring alive things that have been dry and, and painful, that God will bring it back to life with his fresh wind and his fresh fire because the Holy Spirit of God is here right now and he knows what you need and he can meet you at that deepest place and heal your deepest hurts because he says, I am whatever you need. What is it? Peace, he says, I am peace. Provision, I am provision. Joy, I am joy. I am the great I am, whatever you need. And let's thank him that he is the fresh wind that's blowing through your heart right now to bring thanks and giving and blessing in your life. Sing it to him. This is a place of worship, not worry. It's a place of purpose, not pain. Sing it to God because he wants to deliver you just like he delivered the people. I am the great I am, God says. I am whatever you need. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.